Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Scherzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Valiant Dorian plays Vasca, a Yuanti Bard. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Cotter, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, gore, manipulation, complex and complicated relationships, endangerment of animals and pets, heights, falling, death of loved ones, grief, trauma, descriptions of food, romance, flirting, and references to sexual entanglements. Arc 6, Episode 16, My Alien Father from Hera, Calf, Set, Clay, Fog, by Deborah Morkin. Tyrion the White, Lord Commander of the Chromium Order, the Cannibal Titan, fills the Vault of Banua with terrible majesty. His long, serpentine form snakes throughout the chamber, winding between pillars, deities, piles of gleaming gold. Bone-white scales shimmer over his sleek, muscular form. Tufts of ice-blue fur sprout from his throat like a mane, bristling down his spine all the way to the end of his thick, whip-like tail and carving outward from four pairs of scaled legs are eight razor-sharp claws, each the size of a person. Antlers rake up and back from his head, the color of sapphires, bright blue and beautiful, the same hue as his piercing cold blue eyes. The air quivers. As Tyrion rears his head back, his front claws coming up and off the ground, 30, 40, 50 feet up into the air, he opens his massive maw, brimming with teeth the size of your forearms, and he lets loose a roar. On that roar, the floor shakes Loose pebbles cascade and rain down from the ceiling, and your eardrums vibrate in pain. And I need all of you to roll initiative. I got an eight. Yikes. Okay, eight from Jaron, starting off hot. Uh, I got a synthetic 20. Synthetic 20 from Abiku. 14. 14 from V. 
a uh, a non uh, a, a non natural twenty from me. Ooh, a non binary twenty from Gentle. That's how I want to call it from now on. Uh, so Abiku and Gentle, what are your decks? My deck score is a twenty. Same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why don't the two of you just just roll just roll a d twenty with no modifiers to see who goes first? Nine. I hate the six and nine. I can never tell. I got a three, so. Oh, oh, great. Okay, so I'll just I'll just make a note here. All right, top of the order. First to go is gonna be a Biku. Uh, okay. Um, I know I teed up lightning arrows, so I'm just gonna try and range weapon attack, and that'll fire off for the first one. Twenty-one. That would not hit. Oh no! I see. I they take half damage on a miss, so I will roll and give you the half damage. Uh, 11 damage would be half. What does lightning arrow look like as it ripples into existence in your hands? I like string my bow back and it literally like makes this like arrow made of like force and wind. And as the, that's whipping into existence, it's that same energy like starts to crackle like purple lightning and then it forms a lightning arrow instead and it just, and it crackles as it rolls across the ground because it, does splash damage, but there's no one around him. He's just big. Yeah, actually, I think what happens is this lightning, this purple lightning shoots outward from your bow. And as it streaks through the air, we like follow it flying, right? It flies past like a floating tablet uh, suspended above a dais. Like it flies past a marble pillar. It flies past a big mm. pile of gold and it splashes against Tyrion's, let's say his like his front left claw, like his shoulder area. And it just sort of, there's like lightning explodes across it and just dissipates into the ether around him. And Tyrion looks completely unhurt, like completely unfazed. Like you saw the arrow hit him and splash, but he like doesn't react in any way. Like it's less than a fly. A question I have, this isn't full of like stuff. Yes, it is full of stuff. Is that spear that was used to kill Tamba in this room? Can I use my like second attack action to like look for that? You can make a perception check. I think I'm pretty perceptive. Oh, I'm super perceptive. Uh, 25. 25. You do see a spear. It looks similar in make to the spear, like not an exact replica. It actually looks mm -hmm. fancier uh, than the spear Sievert used to kill Tamba. You see a floating, I think like behind Tyrion, like past like uh, where part of his body arches upward and like another claw mm. comes down. You see like a big spear. It looks like it's almost like made of ice, the spear tip of it. Like it's like a frozen icicle, like leashed beautifully onto like a long wooden hilt, uh, carved in ba with like inscriptions, magical inscriptions and ball all the way up its hilt. And with a 25 on the other side of Tyrion, also behind him, you see like a misty fan uh, suspended, like I think floating at the top of the dais as well. That has like, I think as you squint, like floating patterns of clouds sort of move across its parchment. That seems my speed. I'm gonna, I guess, use my movement to try and be right under him probably, so. Okay, uh, so Abiku, you notice that your lightning arrow doesn't do anything against Tyrion, and you, hmm, you pause, mm -hmm. and I think you start to, like, book it for that fan. Uh, so you've got 30 yeah. feet, eh? I've got just 30 feet. I am not a gentle, so. Got it. So we all see Abiku turn and start to, like, hoof it toward that fan. Uh, I think it's probably going to take you until your next turn to, to get there, but you start running yeah. across the battlefield. Is that the end of your turn? 
I would like to use my bonus action as a ranger to hide because I can do that at this level. So I'm going to like I want to try and move it and like see like a pile of shit to like try and like slide and hide behind, hopefully. So he isn't just like eat me. OK, make a stealth check. Natural 20 for 25. <sighs> OK, I will make a contested perception check to see if Tira notices that you're going. For Man, he's got really he's got really big eyes. <laughs> He's got big ol' eyes. Come on, one. Oh, he got a 23. Okay, so he Woo! doesn't notice you. <laughs> I'm good. My, I am I am so all right. My turn is done. Uh, Sun is going to take the dodge action to try and keep Dron and V safe. Just like, if we can't, if they, if Sun can't get out, they are just going to like be a buzzing fly. That's going to be annoying to try and hit. Awesome. Okay, so Sun's gonna entirely focus on avoiding attacks. So any attack yes. rolls against Sun's gonna have disadvantage, and they're gonna yeah. make deck saves with advantage. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so as you book it, I think you like dive behind a huge pile of just gold nuggets and bars and like raw ore, uh, and Sun nods, like feeling this like a connection, and it's gonna dive upward and like start to weave almost like dexterously through the air, right? Like, and and we all watch as like Tyrion's massive head, like as he's like snaps his jaw shut from that roar, starts to follow Sun. And you see, like, he's noticing that, like, Sun's kind of being, like, an annoying fly, getting hard to swat. So, at the end of both you and Sun's turn, before Gentle goes... Gentle, you're on the ground, right? Or are you on... Yeah, you're on the ground. You're on the ground yeah, with Bud. I'm on the ground. Okay. You're, yeah. You and Abiko are the only ones on the ground. So, what is your armor class? <laughs> Mine? Yes. 22. What's Bud's? I don't know. Dire Wolves? If it's okay with you, I, Bud Bud might be wearing some like armor. That's simple. I'm fine with dog armor. Made him. I'm fine with okay. dog armor. Yeah, Bud's got a little bit of dog armor on with like little pauldrons, little helmet, little chest plate. So I think that brings brings up uh, his armor class to a 16. Let's say. Okay, modified direwolf. Here we go. Um, would, would a 24 hit? Yes, it would. Okay, you and Bud are going to take, I'll just take the average here, uh, 19 points of bludgeoning damage and another 18 points of cold damage for 37 total. Uh, as Tyrion at the end of Abiku's turn sort of like slams down with his like front two claws and his tail, his massive tail like swings backward like the top of it tufted like the rest of his fur and bam, like sweeps across the entire lair here and like slams bodily, pummeling you and Bud, I think, across the vault. Uh, and I think this tail rearing up and then slamming down also shatters a pillar that's just in the way. It just completely decimates a pillar. And, like, chunks of marble go flying through the air, limestone scattering against this ground. Is there anything you can do in reaction to that, Gentle? No, but Bud has, like, a hit point, so I'm deeply afraid now. Uh, oh, Fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, there's nothing I can do. Is it my turn? Uh, yes. That is one of his legendary actions. Yes, so now it's your turn. Okay. I need to get Bud out of here immediately. <laughs> He's almost dead, Connie. But, but's fine. But, but's okay. But's okay. <laughs> But Bud Baby is, he's, he's good. I think like as the two of you get like slammed with this tail, but let's not, uh, wow, ouch. Uh, uh, let me at him, let me at him gentle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bite him back. I'm gonna, and like lets out this like very aggressive, vicious growl. Okay, Bud, 
First off, you can't fly. So wait till he gets low. Keep yourself safe until then. Understood? Uh, okay, yeah, uh, I got it. Keep myself safe. Okay, I can do, but if there's anything, uh, I wish I could do like a roar like that. Can he teach me how to roar next time I want to make his eardrums bleed? I can teach you that. I, I, we can we can work on that. We can work on that. All right, you got it, Gentle. And I think Bud, like Sun, will also focus on the dodge action uh, for yeah. his turn. Yes. Okay. So, Bud will focus on dodging. Um, v is on Sun right now, correct? Correct. Okay. V's not doing well, but V is also on a dragon and flying around. So that's not the best use of my focus, I think. I'm probably going to try to run up and down up Tyrion. How close is he? Well, you, you're you right there. So probably like 30 feet. Okay, I can absolutely do that. Um, yeah, I'm just going to do that thing I do, which is punch several times. Are you infusing your fists with that poison? Absolutely. Okay, so before you punch, make me a medicine check. Okay, well I have advantage because I already, I've, I've studied this poison a little bit. It's okay if I don't, I'm just trying to see what I can get out of it. Never mind, nat 20, that's a 30. <laughs> You're able to do it. Let's go. You're able to do it. Tell me what it looks like uh, as your hands begin to brim with this like white poison. Um, I think you see the sort of like hand of harm, like the titular, like dark, sickly looking green as gentle sort of like just puts a little bit like on their hand and sort of just lets it like sit there for a second, almost like sort of getting acclimated to gentle's like skin and body begins to like just swirl around and like you see the color the you said it was white i think you see the sort of sickly green start to glow a little brighter to sort of like showcase the fact they're sort of melded in this in this way go for it where are you trying to punch tyran okay then front claws and i imagine because gentle can also run on just like any surface Gentle's like running up the underside of Tyrion's neck and just like throwing a few strategic punches like so at his mane? on the way up. Yes. On the way up to his head? Okay, yeah, go for it. Uh, make, make those attack rolls. All right, let's go. Uh, 24, 14, 16, and 14. None of those would hit. But, but if you would, but if you'd like, you can have them all deal damage, but he will replenish a legendary action. I, before that, I am going to use focus aim. I'm going to spend three key points to make that uh, 24 a uh, uh, 30. Does that hit? The 30 would hit, yes. If you want the other three to hit, I will allow it, but he will deal damage to you back. I'll let it He'll hit. only get one smack, though. He doesn't deal damage for every hit. <laughs> he I'll, only gets I'll one smack. I'll let it hit. I'll okay, it great. Hit. So, so roll damage for, for all four. Go for it. 44. Yeah, so describe to me, so gentle, for the first time this entire sequence, you actually injure Tyrion. Uh, so as you like fly up his mane and you're like running, it's like super like martial arts style. Like you go up and bam, 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 like up the length of his neck. Are you trying to deal like a final blow on his face or something like that? Yep, uh, I think uh, like right between the eyes, just center forehead, 
Yeah, I think you kick up off his snout a little bit and you bam, you like smack him with like your fist curled up, right? Off five fingers clenched tight and bam, you just hit him uh, between the eyes. And all of you see Tyrion actually like blink and like flinch backward a little bit. Like he was truly not expecting to feel that, right? Uh, And all of you sort of see like from that final blow colliding with Tyrion's head, almost like a pebble being dropped into the surface of the water or like a sonic boom occurring. Like you all see wavelengths like ricochet outward from where gentle smacks Tyrion in the face. And he like flinches backward a little bit and like sort of shakes his like massive antlered head. (laughs) My, 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 you annoying little gnat. What have you slathered onto your fists? And as Tyrion lowers his head back down, we see almost like a smoke trail, still like gusting upward from his face, as we see an imprint of Gentle's fist, like tiny, like a little speck, a freckle of dot, uh, between Tyrion's massive eyes. Oh, I'm in danger. Uh, so at the end of your turn on initiative 20, (sighs) okay, this is fun. Tyrion lets out a deep, rumbling laugh. Uh, and as that laugh echoes through this chamber, through this vault, you all feel the ground begin to vibrate again. And a biku, hidden behind the gold, not noticed by Tyrion, but your your eyes are trained on that fan. You're, you're trying to get there. You see the fan. Like, turn and turn and spin and like vibrate upward. And as you do, I think you see more of the details come into focus as the fan expands behind Tyrion and it like opens up. And as it opens up, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until the fan is like big enough to be wielded by someone of Tyrion's size. Like a massive fan that would look normal if he grasped it in one claw, but like towers over all of you behind Tyrion. And as like the fan splays open, like this beautiful cloudwork, like dancing over its ridges, you recognize it, Abiku. Now that your memories are back, I don't even need you to roll for it. This was your queen's fan. Queen Undu's fan of the Cloud Kingdom. She fought with this fan. She protected your people with this fan. And now Tyrion has attuned to it and is forcing it to do what it does. And I need, let's see, all of you that are directly in front of him to make a deck save. And Abiku, because you're behind cover, let's say you have advantage on this deck save. And I know Sun does as well. What if you're incapacitated? I think you automatically fail. Uh, but Jerron, depending on how well you do, because you're holding and trying to shield V, we can see how that works out. So it'll depend on Jerron's roll. Okay, let's hope I roll real good. My life is in your hands, Jerron. 25. Okay. What did Abiku get? Uh, Abiku got a 21, and I have to pull up Sun. There's That's where I keep Sun's thing on my sheet. Uh, Sun got a 25. Oh, nice. Okay. What about Gentle? Uh, 30. All of you save. Uh, so those of you who save will take half damage, unless you're a rogue, I guess. Can I, can I offer a alternative? In in, uh, trading my evasion to make it so V doesn't take damage. Okay. Then, because you're trying to prevent V from taking any damage at all, Jaron, I think you'll take half damage because you still did save. Is that okay? Cool. Okay. Uh, so half Full damage, I'll just say, then we'll have it. Okay, that's not so bad. Full damage is 20, uh, cold damage. 
Uh, and if you failed, you also would have been pushed back by a massive gust of wind. But because all of you saved, I don't think you are. So now that we resolved the damage, I'll describe what it looks like. Uh, this fan like spins upward and almost like behind Tyrion's head. Like it's framing like his neck like a halo. And if splays outward, it ricochets up once and then bam, it like swings down. And all of you feel a massive like blow of wind just gust over this entire chamber and like ripple his mane it like ripples against gentle against sun against Jaron V Abiku like the gold scatters I think Abiku as you take like you you're pummeled right to the face of like 10 points of cold damage but I think you're able to roll out of the way and mitigate some of that um but Abiku because of the nature of this massive gust even though pretty much all of you save uh I think that means your cover is halfway eroded like half of that gold pile you were hiding behind gets scattered just across the ground gentle since you're right in front of Tyrion, tell me how you save. It's a gust wind and I'm cold resistant. Uh, two things Gentle's very used to. And I think Gentle just sort of combine like their cloak with the way they sort of move. They just sort of lean into it and sort of almost spin in such a way that like they just avoid the actual pressure and current of it and just sort of come out of the other side like, maybe a little chilly and they're just like holding themselves a little bit like tighter but they're fine otherwise i love it yeah so i think as you're like turning around and you like use your cloak to help like stomach some of that below but you still stay there like standing strong none of you push back sun weaving and dodging jaron flinging himself over v to like protect her from like the wintry blast of that chill and like as this as the fan snaps shut and starts to descend back toward the dais and like turns small again tyran lets out this like low rumbling hum and all of you hear him say I see so not cold damage or anything maneuverable against you understood and all of you see him start to raise a claw to prepare for his turn as he's learning from this uh next up is gonna be V alright V is in Jaron's arms <laughs> on Make top of sun safe I'm gonna use a luck point. I've got a okay. couple more of those. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm not even gonna bother you. Okay, that was a two. Okay, so that's one success, one failure. Are you sure you don't wanna use another luck point? Oh, fine, I'm gonna use my final luck point. Oh gosh. Okay, that's a 12. Okay, two successes. We just need one more. Uh, so V, as you're it, on the back of Sun, I think drifting in and out of consciousness, you see Jaron's face swimming like in front of you, right? And you see his hair like blowing in like a huge gust of wind. And you see some like crystals rhyme, I think on his shoulder, uh, but he's just, he's taking it. He's like looking at you and like protecting you and defending you. And V, I think you're able to choke out a few words. What do you say? Uh, I think she's only able to say like, God, Nectus outside. I think those are the three words she can say. Okay. And speaking of which, Jaron, it's your turn next. We pan from V's struggling, blinking, half-conscious face upward to you. Jaron hears V stirring and then say those words, and they look frantically into V's eyes. V, V, what do you, what do you mean outside? We can't get outside. And I think Jaron like looks around the room 
Is Grim still like floating and like being used by Tyrion? Yes. So as you, ca- because I mentioned it earlier, you don't have to make a perception check again. You scan this like room that's underneath you, these gold piles fluttering past you as sun's weaving and dodging and weaving and dodging. So it's almost kind of dizzying, but you do see it. Like we fix on it as you're sort of like rotating in like a lazy semicircle around it. Grim, the scythe, sort of like floating atop a dais. And I think you still see a, a ghostly vestige of Rev. Like behind Grim, it's almost like she's a ghost trapped in a invisible box uh, behind and around Grim, and she's got these chains on her like muscular forms, and she's pounding at like some sort of unseen wall, like soundlessly, and like shouting, she's saying something, but it can't get through. Jaron sees that, and I think his uh, mind goes to Rev, like we need Rev. Rev is a paragon, and Rev would want to help V, so we need to get her out of there somehow. So uh, Jaron kind of like leans down to Sun and says, "Can you get us to Grim?" And uh, as we're, I assume uh, probably Sun is going to like help like maneuver us towards Grim at this point. And while we're going there, uh, Jaron is going to pull out his short bow and is going to knock an arrow and aim for Grim, hoping to hit it and kind of like cause it to waver essentially, like hopefully trying to interfere somehow with the arcane connection between Grim and Tyrion. Don't okay. know if that's possible with an arrow, but we're gonna try. Okay, make an attack roll. I got a nat one. <sighs> I don't have inspiration. Okay, Jaron. <sighs> With a nat one, not only do you not free Grim from Tyrion's influence, you also draw Tyrion's attention to what you're doing. So tell me how. Tell me how you do that. Um. <laughs> Sorry, me. <laughs> I think Jaron like. M- knocks the arrow and looks around uh, and sort of like aims for Grim. But I think the fact that Tyrion is so large and looming in this space and is um, actively attacking like all of us here and like is calling up all of these like magical artifacts and doing all this stuff. I think it's just kind of like a lot to take in all at once. And Jaron, his attention is kind of half between like, is V like, is V gonna come up at any moment? Like is V gonna, Rouse, is she gonna be okay? And half on Grim. And so I think because their attention is so divided, they can't quite aim properly. And instead the arrow just kind of goes flying. I think like just past Tyrion's face instead by accident. And like it whizzing by his face is maybe what draws his attention to to Jaron. Mm, I think so, yeah, as it spirals right past that tuft of fur and hair and mane, he his like icy blue eyes flick up and like start to trace Sun and you holding the short bow and like you with V like in your grasp. <laughs> oh, I see one, two, three, four meddling little flies in my vault. Jaron Cotter, I gave you a chance to ascend to godhood with me as my servant, as a witness to my new kingdom come, and you squandered it. 
I'm going to have fun using my claw to rip you open. I would never follow a god like you. Then die. Uh, is that all you can do? Um, okay. So V said Scott and Nectis outside. There's two ways that I think Jaron kind of interprets this. One is like literally let's go outside, which is not possible. And the other is take Scott and Nectis out of V to save them, I think is maybe Jaron's other thought process. Um, so he, they're just percolating on this information because he, they've been working on the God Jar with Dewey, right? So I think his brain kind of naturally goes to that as like a Hail Mary save of the gods. And they're kind of like thinking about this and percolating on it as I end my turn. <sighs> okay, sounds good. Uh, at the end of your turn, Jaron, are you like putting your hands on V and trying to like sense God and Nectis in her or are you not there yet? They put their hands on V and they kind of like focusing on those voices that he heard back in the tapestry room, trying to feel like where are Scarlet and Nectis inside of V. Okay, uh, make an arcana check. 12. As you push your hands against V's skin, trying to sense the divinity thrumming within her, you feel a barrier. Uh, you're new to magic. You're new to this whole magic thing, right? Your prosthetic arm, I think, is teeming with a weave and is sort of feeding information up your stump, like up through your nervous system and like sparking info into your brain up toward that point of connection. You feel like a thick, almost like a glass wall is what it feels like as you're like, I think you're concentrating really hard and like sweat is running down your face in these like ticklish little rivulets. You hear voices voices that sound holy, that feel radiant, that is like love and risk and daylight and blade and cutting and, and depth, just given form and sound trapped behind a thick barrier. And I think you can sense Scott and Nectis are, are in her, but they're, she's prevented from c communing with her and so are you in some way, but you can feel cracks starting to form in that barrier. Is there any way that Jaron can tell like how to rip open those cracks more, how to expand those fissures? With a 12, the only thing you know is you'd have to do something extremely risky. You have to punch your way in through her soul with force, I think, and you are not a soul magician. Yet. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Aspirational, Jaron. All right, it's at the end of your turn. Okay, it's Tyrion's turn next, baby. Uh, so, Tyrion rears back up, right? Like picks his huge claws off the ground uh, and they're all like gleaming and razor sharp uh, as you see like his muscles begin to tense. And as he's sort of like up, like his other like three pairs of claws are like keeping him stable on the ground. Uh, you all hear his voice go again. <laughs> now, I haven't done this in quite some time. You think you can stomach the cold. You think you are from Rose and you know what chill is. Let me show you what cold is. Uh, and you all see his mane. Something's glowing underneath it with such force that it's shining through his fur. Uh, and all of you hear like a cracking noise and Jaron and Gentle, the two of you are thrown briefly into a horrible flashback of Zima Lake cracking on the night of the cataclysm. And then you fling back to where you are right now as crack, 
crack, crack, crack, crack, crack. This bright blue glowing light comes up his throat and he opens his jaw and you see like a, a bubbling, frothing, icy hailstorm brimming in his maw. And he's gonna let out a massive gust of a cold breath. And I need all of you to make a con save. 14. 15. Uh, I got an eight, but son got a synthetic 20. All of you fail. Uh, none of you quite hit the DC, so you're going to take full damage. I will roll for it. I won't take the average. Because hopefully I'll roll lower. <sighs> Should have taken the average, Connie. Um, all of you will you take... still could... I said I'd roll for it, so I gotta stick with it. It's it's an ancient white dragon's cold breath. So all of you will take 84 points of cold damage. If you have resistance, have it. 42. I got bad news for people on sun. (laughs) Are we free falling into the ground? Ah, no. Wait, no, I can stop. I will use my reaction to give sun Resistance to the damage. Cool, so sun's still up. Yes. That's smart, actually. <laughs> you realize if we take full damage, if I take that damage, I probably, it's done, we're done, okay? We're probably said, done here. So it was 80 or 44 was half? 84 is 42. full, 42 was half. You got some more time in your Uber. <laughs> How's the rest of you doing? Anyone uh, unconscious? I'm okay. still up, technically, baby. Holding on. <laughs> very, very loosely. <laughs> it's like a blizzard. Most of you are resistant to cold damage in some way, but this is, this is cold. Tyrion wasn't lying. This is like a, like a snowstorm in the depths of bear. Like the worst kind of snowstorm any of you have ever weathered before, and then some. Like the, the temperature in this room plummets uh, as this cold breath gusts out of Tyrion. It like dips to zero, negative 30, negative 60. As like this huge tempest of cold just swirls through the atrium, through the vault. And you all see like pillars instantly freeze. Like these pillars, like a flash freeze. And almost like day of tomorrow, right? Like we see icicles like flying like southward in the opposite direction where the wind gusts came from. We see like piles of gold also flash freeze. The only things that don't are like the magical items floating off the dais. Uh, And all of you, even though you resist and you're still up, you feel icicles rhyming on your shoulders, right? Like some like chill and frost forms in your hair. It like crusts over your face and your ears, right? Gets like your bones and joints start to creak and you feel this bone deep marrow deep biting like gnawing pain just getting at you from this cold we're gonna go back to the top of the turn order but uh in classic transplanar fashion i'd like to shake things up a bit with how we do initiative now that the first round is over i want y'all to choose what your initiative order is within the team I was going to say V goes absolutely last for as many chances to say yes. V. Yes, yes. Maybe Jaron even could go first. <laughs> that's that's my suggestion as a helpful GM. So Jaron and then Gentle, a BQV. Okay. Jaron, you're first. Um, as we're kind of like landing on the ground, Jaron is going to go and try and like grab Grim. Make me an Arcana check. Okay. I'll give you advantage on this. Gentle, you of all people would realize that 
even as Tyrion snaps his jaw shut, and like the the coldness in this room doesn't evaporate, it stays like negative sixty, negative fifty, like in here. You see that like little indentation between his eyes from where you hit him with that poison. You see like white veins have begun to spread across his face. And you can feel like the magic that he has complete control, mastery, and majesty over in this vault starting to waver a little. Uh, which is why Jaron has advantage on trying to grab Grim. What'd you get? A non-binary 20. A non-binary 20. Uh, yes. So your fingertips, similar to trying to like dive into the swirling portal rings surrounding the tapestry in the tapestry room, you feel that kind of force like vibrate against your fingers as you like stick through this like invisible barrier surrounding Grim at the top of the pedestal, uh, but you're able to get through it. And it's sort of like putting your hand through like really, really intense tornado gale force wind, right? It kind of hurts as you, uh, you stick your hand through it. You're getting close, you're getting close, you're getting close. And then I think your fingers try to wrap around Grim, uh, but right before they close around the hilt, the barrier shatters uh, because you've destroyed it, you've penetrated it uh, with that non-binary 20. And instead of your hand grabbing the hilt, we see Rev's ghostly form suddenly corporealize and she grabs Grim like right before you do. And she shivers back into existence that like black raven cloak like coming down her spine, like her hair, I think swirling and whirling and getting like crusted on with frost icicles from this gale force. And without saying a single word, uh, she swings that scythe through the air and like springs into the air and lands gently like right next to V on Sun's back and is like looking V up and down and going no, 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 come on, come on hey, V, V Visanti come back to me <sighs> Raven Queen please, I need you and Abiku you feel the Raven Queen within you surge upward and that like closed off like silence like force barrier that had like cut the two of you, your connection severed from each other, it explodes. With Tyrion's weakening hold over the magic in here and Rev's back, Paragon here, and you as the Keeper having kept the Raven Queen's shard safe within your soul, all of these factors coalesce to allow Rev to fling her fist out with Grim in it, and Abiku, you feel the Raven Queen leave you in a flutter of wings and whisper at Feather and Gravelot. Uh, and though no one else sees it, Abiku, you witness like a beam of black and white light, I think, shoot out of your chest and sort of fly through the air and back into Grim. And upon that beam shooting into Grim, we see the scythe, the blade glisten once. Uh, and Rev's gonna lean down and I think swipe the scythe through V in like a gentle motion. And V, you feel <gasps> life gasp back into your lungs. You see like tendrils of this thick milky white poison, like leeching themselves up and out of your pores, like up through your chest, right? As she's like, calls that poison upward out of you. And you will regain, you'll regain pretty much all of your health aside from the damage you've taken since dropping unconscious. Which would put me at 13 then. Okay then, okay. <laughs> okay, then you're at 13. Oh, you go back up to 13. <laughs> Yes, uh, but you're no longer like literally on the brink of death <laughs> in a way that no one can fix uh, as Rev calls that poison out of you. And I think she like flings her arm outward in an aggressive, violent motion and the poison that was floating above your face goes splat against the marble. Jaron runs over to V. Are you okay? 
I couldn't feel Scott and Nectis. Are they are they still inside of you? GM, can I feel Scott and Nectis within me now? Hell yeah! Like as soon as that poison was culled out of you, it's like that barrier finally those cracks and it shatters. And you feel Scott and Nectis roiling through your body, swirling and swirling, empowering you. And I think you replenish a use of gamble by coming back from the brink of death in this moment. V like does the whole like blink for a moment and then like opens the eyes and again, like glowing one green eye, one purple eye. Like you can see she's getting supercharged here. Hey, easy, 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 Visanti. Drawn. Thank you. I I don't know what to say. I thank you. We don't have time for this right now. We still have to deal with and Jaron looks up at Tyrion's like hulking form taking over <laughs> the majority of this room. Yeah, okay. And she cracks her head, like cracks her neck once, twice in either direction, right? Like rolls her shoulders backward and sort of like spins Grim in her grip and then poof, like holds it in like a combat ready stance. And she like gently gets up from Sun, careful not to disturb V. All right, let's kill this old bitch. For the rest of my turn, what uh, magic items are nearby? This is all a treasure vault full of magic items. I just want to know what's nearby. You see uh, various things, that fan behind Tyrion, they're mostly surround, they're near Tyrion, most of the deuses, let's say. There's a sword, a fan, a spear, an ax, a stone tablet, and a bow. They all look ancient as hell. Okay. I assume these deuses are kind of like in like a circle, like around Tyrion or like- Yeah, let's say they're arranged in a semicircle behind him. Which of the items are like nearest drawn? I would say the sword and the bow. Jaron's plan, I think, is to try and sever as many of the connections that Tyrion has to these magical items as possible to try and weaken him. Weaken him. So, so the first thing that he's going to do is he's going to book it for the bow. Jaron, I think, like skids to a halt in front of this dais, looks up at Tyrion, tries not to be absolutely intimidated by the fact that he is staring at an ancient white dragon from beneath putting his own bow like on on his back they're going to go and try and like grab this bow i think as your hands and your arms start to cut through that invisible barrier force like like pain surges through your body as you're trying to reach it make me an arcana check i got a nine okay i can give it to you at cost okay i will take the cost where are you at health wise 38 Okay, that's not so bad. Uh, so, Jaron, as you uh, like force your arms through trying to reach that glowing bow, you see it in fuller relief now. It's a beautifully carved composite bow uh, made of like sinew and like wood and bone. And there are these like beautiful ancient engravings all the way down like the, the heft of the handle and like this nice leather work. Uh, it looks like it was made for royalty really. And Abiku, from your vantage point behind the scattered uh, hill of gold coins, you see what Jaron's doing, and you recognize that bow. It was King Wen's bow of the Hill Kingdom. Uh, as your like arms go through and you try to grab onto it, you see, I think, flashing through this invisible barrier of force, a man's face. Just flash, flash, echoes, echoes of the former owner of this bow. You see a proud, triton man. 
with these like gills flaring on either side of his neck. He's like in the middle of like laughing as he's like holding up like a newborn, like his newborn baby and like laughing and playing with him, right? And then you also see him in like the grip of like fury, holding this bow, stringing it against an enemy. And then you see him like weeping as he's like cradling the body of his beloved. And then you see him in his like final stand. I think he's like short hair raked up and back, like a kind of salt and pepper color to it now. He's gotten older. The final stand in this vault as he holds this bow taut and then something gets him and he falls and like you see this man's life play out in all these stages just like whisking by whisking by whisking by whisking by and for some reason i think your connection to the thousand year war insofar as your connection to a bhikkhu your connection to the language it seems to like latch onto that part of you and you get the sense that the previous owner of this bow wants you to take it and wants revenge done for him, justice done for what's occurred to him. You feel this righteous fury start to surge through your body as you're reaching for this bow, but the price of breaking through Tyran's barrier is gonna be 20 points of force damage. Please, let me help you take this away from the person who stole it from you. And I think maybe that is when he's able to like push through and like his fingers wrap around the bow and they like pull it back out of this barrier off of the dais. I love it. And you break Tyrion's attunement to King Wen's bow, is what that means, as you grab it off the dais, and Tyrion actually, he feels it. And sort of like shakes his head, uh, kind of like a guitar string snapping and like slashing up against your arm, kind of, is sort of how it feels like for, for attunement to be forcibly severed from you. He, he, uh, he flinches with his whole body, and you see his big tail smash against another pillar and crumble it into dust. You little flies, those weapons do not belong to you. The spoils go to the victor, Jaron, and you are not the victor. Not yet, anyway. Is that the end of your turn? Beautiful! If you're feeling pretty angry, you could have this one. I could go now. V is going to like flick her hand and Gamble's going to flash into her hand. She's going to spread it all out and pick a card and she's going to look at it for a second and just let the card drop to the ground. And it's the Hermit card and she's going to use it to cast Tiny Hut around her and Rev. So a 10 foot radius pops up around them. No spells can go through it but our spells can go through it outwards and we are protected from anything outside of this tiny hut. Ooh, I think we start to see a sphere of like purple and green energy start to balloon upward from between you and Rev and Sun, who's also there, right? And Tyrion lets out a roaring laugh. Ha ha ha, haven't I taught you this lesson already, girl? As he reaches a claw and cocks it to counterspell. But Rev flings out her scythe and says, you're not the only one who can do that, old man. And counterspells his counterspell. That's hot. So That's I think hot. we feel your magic start to waver and destabilize as you cast Tiny Hut, but then Rev flings it outward, and it's like another band flicking against Tyrion's skin. He lets out a insolent little. And you all feel like the ground starts to shake again, but Tiny Hut comes up. Excellent. So now I feel much safer. I'm going to expend some sorcery points so I can do a bonus action. I'm going to cast Mage Hand. 
and I'm gonna send Mage Hand over to the poison that like flicked onto the wall and like smear it into its palm, and send it to go just just slam it into Tyrion. <laughs> when the sorcerer is at 13 hit points, but is still being useful. <laughs> I love this tiny hut and Mage Hand. I'm into it. Yeah, a ghostly hand comes out, scoops up some of that bristling, brimming, bubbling, boiling white, a milky white poison, and floats over to one of Tyrion's massive claws and just smears it all over the talons. I don't even think that requires a check, because it just works. Tyrion lets out a, what are you doing? What is this, you? I think he flings his claw outward and throws the mage hand back, but the damage is already been it's so small at first. Your mage hand is so tiny compared to his massive talon. But you know, even giants fall, right? Uh, so we see the, this like milky white vein start to web up that one claw up toward his wrist. And it starts to like gain traction and momentum as it starts to spiral up that claw. And he lets out a, no, no, stop that you. You don't know what you're playing with, girl. As we see more of that milky white liquid, I think also continue to bloom up from his smile from where Gentle punched him, and also bloom outward from underneath his mane from where Gentle punched his neck on their way up to Tyrion's snout. Rev can feel some some weave energy rolling around V as she prepares her next sequence of events, but yeah, that is the end of my turn. Love it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Rev is going to sort of stand protectively in front of you as her turn, uh, and she's going to hold her scythe, and I think just sort of slash it once, twice, three times through the air, and send ghostly after images of, like, that scythe slashing and sweeping through the space. Abiku, you saw Rev do this against the hunter back in Kirtal, and you see these and they slam against Tyrion's mane. He actually flinches and staggers backward. It seems like he's starting to take damage now that the poison has weakened him to the extent that he's no longer immune. And he bothersome little Pasquale. No matter, it's been some time since I've fought foes that could actually hurt me. This is an interesting way for me to ascend to godhood. Thank you for entertaining me. But he does let out growls and like annoyed little grunts uh, as Rev slashes at his body. Abiku Gentle, who's next? Do you want? I can take it. I'm just going to continue doing what I've been doing, which is just punching the entire length of Tyrion. It's like a little mosquito, honestly, at this point. It'd be fun. I'm also going to use one of my punches instead to use a hand of healing on myself to make sure I kind of stay alive. Gentle will be a little self-preservating as a treat. 22, 22, and 17. All three can hit if he gets to try to smack you. I just said I was going to be self-preservating. You can't do this to me. I have a fun I have a fun question real quick then. Yeah, what's your fun question? If I use focused aim uh, and make those 22s each do 26, will that hit? Yes, those will hit. I'll hit with two then. That's enough. Great. Also, just so you know, GM, I'm healing 10 damage. Might be enough to save me from dying at least once. That's 25. Your fists are still infused with poison. So where yeah. are you smacking him? I, I have already went centered eye, and I think I'm just continuing like down the length of his body, top of the head, flips, throws like one punch, uses that momentum to springboard themselves further down more of their body. As they land, do another punch, and they just are planning to continue to slide 
down the rest of uh, Tyrion. You like somersault between his antlers and like you land on like the tuft of his fur that's on his head and you're just punching him all the way down as you skid and you slide almost like you're going down a slide, right? But it's like scales and these like thick tufts of fur that are like so bristly and rough that they could cut you. But you're like dodging between these tufts of hair and you're bam, 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 punching him all the way down. And he flinches with every punch. He lets out a, uh, you, and you can feel his body starting to contort and thrash and like bristle and team underneath you as he's like gonna try to buck you off probably but you're a monk so who knows if you will with every punch every indentation down his scales we see more of those like white milky poison webs start to like spider web outward like down his body right next up is gonna be a biku i get to the fan at the top of my turn and i'm going to reach in to take it make me an arcana check with advantage because you are from this time period and you know this the previous owner person natural 20 for 21 <laughs> i don't need to manage do you want to roll again just to see if you get two nat 20s just just for fun i would <laughs> i wish i yeah i wish i rolled two separate <gasps> dice so i could take a picture let's go I feel like we deserve some rewards too. Okay, you know what? You know what? I, had a whole, I was kind like, of joking. So I don't, I don't know what I. Abiku, why don't you say your speech and I'll give you something else that's really dope after? Cool. How about that? With the two uh, toys, say your speech, do the thing. So I was, I'm gonna reach in and grab it, and I look up at Tyrion and I'm, I, sh Tyrion, this is not yours. These things are not yours. This house is not yours, and you are not the last titan. I'm gonna try and get big, but you go ahead and resolve what you were gonna do. Ooh, wow! Okay, as you reach your hand through that barrier, you don't even take damage like Jaron did. Uh, it just explodes. And every single barrier of every magic item that Tyrion had attuned himself to, all six of them, they explode. He lets out like a painful roar and a howl as all of these threads of the weave snap and like ricochet and lash against his body invisibly with arcane suffering. You, Biku Ishtar, I am going to relish in your death, I have to admit. But Abiku, you reach through, you grab that fan. And just like Jaron at the end of your speech, you see these like swirling faces, not just of Queen Undu, but you see all the way down the semicircle, like ghostly forms of each of the gigantic mages, each of the rulers, the leaders of your home, way back before you died the first time. You see Queen Undu, King Garva, Ruler Fiki, Queen Zalu, Ruler Pastu, and of course, King Wen as well, floating ghostly behind Jaron. And you feel all of them look at you, like in one fluid motion, all of them turn and just look at you. Uh, and you just feel like suffused with power and confidence and their rage and 10,000 years of betrayal and justice gone unpunished. Uh, and suffuse with that power, Abiku. You get big. So, tell me what it looks like. I think she takes this fan and she sees all the rulers and she is like gently crying. And she says, I will not fail you again. And you all just see her form and her all of, you know, all her stuff like 
grow until she's eye level with Tyrion. I don't know if I have any action or attack left. You can attack him. You can get an attack in. That's cool. I look at him and I say, let's see how you like it. And I let out, I use my connection with Sun to let out a breath of lightning in his face. <laughs> okay, he has to make a save uh, or something, yeah, right? Yeah, dexterity save. It's only DC 18, so like probably 18. he'll make oh, it. That's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to give him disadvantage, though, because he just took a lot of else. <laughs> like right before, like bam, 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 bam. Yeah, okay, so he does not make it. Hey, uh, he does not make 10 it. He, six to the face. He, he got a five and a ten. He has a plus twelve, so he got a Ooh, seventeen. Uh, so so he, he fails. Yeah. So roll that damage. Forty-four lightning damage. As spears of purple lightning shoot out of your mouth, <laughs> like lets out this like guttural, like almost like monstrous roar as he rears back and staggers backward away from you as you breathe into his face and your body's ballooned up to also fill this vault, fill the space. And as he, <clears throat> you, you, and you see his body quivering, his muscles spasming from the force of that static electricity, like coming out of your mouth. And he looks up and for the first time, you see shock reflected in his like icy blue eyes. Where, where did you learn to do that? Why would I tell you that? And he lets out this huge roar, right? But like static purple lightning continues to like spark down his body. Uh, and like the milky white cobwebs continue to rhyme up his face. Abiku, that was baller as hell. Uh, is that your turn? <laughs> that's, that's it for me. So take it away. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. I think all of you have gone. So it's Tyrion's turn next. He's gonna attack you, Abiku. Um, He is. He's pretty pissed off, but you are literally his size now. Tyrion is going to lunge forward at you. It's literally a clash of titans, like a literal clash of titans. There's like a (laughs) sonic boom. Yeah, as like your bodies collide into each other inside this vault and his like claws, one claw digs into your shoulder, another claw digs into like the side of your body and like he opens his mouth and like bites down, I think on your other shoulder and it's like, ah, like a dog, like biting, you know, like biting down on a toy, right? And like, I think his like other claws also come up and try to like scratch at you, uh, but you're able to brace. You feel he's trying to push you backward. Uh, so before I resolve damage, make a strength save with advantage because you're so huge. 25. That is sufficient. You hold your ground. And I think there's a moment where we see massive Abiku like pulling one foot back and then bracing against the marble floor as Tyrion is like biting and slashing and chomping at her. And in total, Abiku, you would take 74 points of damage. Uh, no one else get bit by Tyrion. <laughs> no one else get bit by Tyrion. I got it. <laughs> In total, from all his attacks, he would take 74 points of damage, but I think in your new form, your HP max is tripled. (laughs) Okay. Let's go. Sure. I'm I'm not going to say no. So I think that means you're still standing, right? Cool. Uh, You're definitely still standing, but like we see like some of your blood gush out, but we see a Biku take it. We see Abiku take this barrage of attacks from an ancient draconic mage who's just uh, rending and swiping and slashing at her. 
I'm gonna need Tyrion to make a strength saving throw as I use my uh, reflective reprisal as he does damage and like I shoot out like just like instinctually like a gust of air like comes off my chest into his chest. I'm having him roll with disadvantage because he is not. Oof. You hate to see it. That was a natural two. So he Oof. does fail. Uh, it's not a lot of damage. It's only 2d8. So that is 11 force damage, but he is pushed 10 feet off of me. I like that. Yeah. Like at the end of his barrage of attacks, we just see this massive like wind wave sweep out from Abiku and he staggers back. Ugh! We see his like mane fly. Ripple past his face. You are... That kind of magic, Abiku Ishtar. That's draconic magic, raw, natural magic, harnessed from the weave directly. I would know it. I pioneered much of it. Just how much did Shrini teach you, hmm? That traitor. Bold to speak of traitors from someone who killed their own sister and started a war. You know nothing of the cost of power, the cost of godhood, the cost of ascension. I am strong for killing my sister. I am strong for killing over 22,000 of our own kind. I am strong for killing my daughter. It is what makes me powerful. I am not connected to weaklings like you are. I think Abiku just thinks for a bit and looks over. V, do you have something to say about your supposed death? I think I'm still here, Abiku. I think I'm still here. So are you stupid or weak? I asked Tyrion. <laughs> I should have killed you myself the first time. I will relish in killing you this time and I think he lets out a roar as you've like inflamed his anger right as you like stretch out your muscles uh so that is Tyrion's turn at the end of Tyrion's turn inflamed and incensed as he is he like rears up and you all get the sense that he's like going super saiyan like he's he is, he's in his final form he's gonna do the thing uh and we all just see like his his fur begin to glow blue like a bright bright, bright blue, right? And his like eyes also flare up and gentle you see pillars of light start to shoot up all around you because you're like on top of this thing, this titan glowing blue. And he lets out a, you have no idea the kind of doom you are inviting upon Andake by standing against me. You think you can defeat the stranger as you are? You cannot, you will fail and I will show you your failure. <laughs> and I think that blue light explodes off his body, and all of you are no longer in the vault. The air within the vault of Banul shimmers, bends, tightens like a fist, and then explodes crimson. Red, 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 blooms from Tyrion's body like the focal point of a flower, petals of scarlet unfolding from his blue energy in huge swatches across the chamber. Piles of gold, pillars of marble, ceilings of painted mural peel away until you're no longer in the vault of Banua, but on a vast battlefield. 
The sky is blood. Eyes populate the horizon, scarlet irises, void black pupils of ever-changing shape, looking, 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 shattered ground, bodies everywhere, corpses, machines of war, broken weapons, entire squadrons laid to waste, shivering over the earth, monsters. The color of ink of empty space between stars, snarling, crunching, hulking limbs made of black blades carving thick gashes through the dirt and standing atop a summit in the distance, atop a peak overlooking this desolate battleground, mere pinpricks against this crimson darkness, the eight paragons. They're bleeding. Wounded, leaning on each other, little figures on the horizon, all looking east, looking at it. And then you all see it. The stranger, taller than the world, a column of rippling, bristling feathers that splay open into wings across the horizon between the eyes, covering everything, blotting out the sun and the stars, and with every passing second, the wings grow wider, the eyes expand, the red deepens, and the apocalypse inches closer. This V and Rev, you have seen dozens and dozens of times before in your dreams. This is the end. There is no escape. Your heroes have failed you, and oblivion awaits. What do the four of you do? So to clarify, the eight we see, is it the eight we know? No, it is not a BQ. As you cast your gaze northward, Toward that peak, you like glimpse just like fi- silhouettes that are unfamiliar to you. You don't see amongst them Vasca or Oka or V or Dewey. They look, they look as strangers to you. Gentle and Jaron, back when we were traveling with the hounds, saw we assume one of the the old paragon of Sen. Do we recognize that figure at least? They are very, very, very far away. So if you all want to, you can make a perception check. 21. 14. Okay, so I got another 20. Um, so wow. it's 34. What? <laughs> I don't want to over, like, that, I'm sorry. Well, I got a net one, so I think V's just busy <laughs> doing her thing. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe V is preoccupied. So, Abiku, in this memory, you're still huge, uh, and Tyrion is still massive next to you. Maybe, like, that's how we can flavor the Nat 20, like, you're able to look and just see. You see eight people, none of whom you recognize at all. One of them is this, like, gold-skinned tiefling. Another one of them is this kind of, like, swirling, like, shadow being thing that's just sort of, like, in and out of existence. Another one is a bearded dwarf woman. Another one you see, like, a really heavily tattooed centaur uh, holding a golden bow. Another one you see, like, a half-elf woman with this, like, dark skin and long black hair and an eye that opens sideways on her throat. You also see, like, a muscular drow man with top surgery scars who's, like, topless and has, like, robe tied around his waist. You also see a goliath woman with four arms and, like, a crown of, like, three points digging into her face, causing her to bleed all the time down her 
forefront. And finally, you see a Kenku, the smallest of the group, plain looking Kenku, I think with like white tipped feathers in this kind of like hooded cloak holding Grim, this like huge scythe that like seems to oversize them. Do you recognize the centaur? Right? Because I was that's the person from Arc 5? Yes. Yes, you recognize Karvachturai, the centaur, the former paragon of Galtanger. So Tyrion's just like here? He's like next to us? Yes, he is. He's sort of standing reared up. He sort of lets out a um This This is what happened to your former so-called heroes. They failed you. The stranger wasn't defeated, as you all know, and yet you're still arrogant enough to assume you can best her. You call me arrogant to look at yourselves. You are half the people the former paragons were, and they yet were not enough. What makes you think you can defeat that? And he turns to look at this memory of the stranger, this massive being just towering on the horizon, bigger than Andake. They didn't have us last time. The Paragons, they may not be whole the way that they used to be, but they have allies. More of us than, and Jerron kind of looks <laughs> around the battlefield. Allies, do you not see their allies dead? Here, armies they raised, dozens and hundreds sent to fight for them, thousands. Armies I not seen since the likes of the Thousand Year War, since the Gambit of Queens. You think your help, you think your friendship, your love will be enough to save you. Look upon your own ancestors' failures. And he gestures with a claw at this battlefield strewn with hundreds of corpses, bodies of people who have fought and died. You think it'd be better for us to let you kill us and assume you can do it because yes. one person is better than 16 people? Wrong. 22,000 souls and counting brim within me. Feed me power. When I ascend to godhood, I shall strike her down myself. But you still have weaknesses. A weakness of my own creation. So do all of you. You say you don't have weaknesses. <sighs> Lies. I don't think any of us here would pretend that we are perfect or anything close to that. We're just willing to work together. You could have had 22,000 allies, and instead you're going to try to do this alone, and you will fail. No. If you try to slay me here, if you try to stop me here, I guarantee you, you will fail. I am presenting you with irrefutable proof. And he splays his claws open, bridled by the horizon behind him, that the stranger is more powerful than the eight put together, than the paragons, than any of you. What? <laughs> you keepers, you chosen friends of your heroes, your so-called champions. The only thing that can defeat her is a force more powerful than she can ever imagine. A force that Endake, nay, that the multiverse has not seen since. And I shall ascend to that force when I strike my daughter down. 
I'm doing this for Endake. I'm doing this to preserve life. You meddlesome fools, I truly believe you think what you're doing is the right thing, but it is not. All of you stand down and let me kill her, or I kill you all. Tyrion, and V like starts to stand up and you can see that she is like fusing, just pulsating with weave energy that she's been working up. You say that you're more powerful than any of us, that you have slayed 22,000 plus. You say that you're the only one who can defeat the stranger, but I have drank your worst poison and I'm standing here because I have love, friendship, and something that you will never have, a true heart. And I have a message from your sister. Vasanti says, hello. And V would like to cast some spells. Go for it. At first, V is gonna hold up a palm and this little beam of light is going to shoot across the battlefield towards Tyrion and like forms just this little glowing green ball of energy as she casts Delayed Fire Blast. And it just sits there. I'm going to then use two sorcery points to cast as a bonus action, calling up from the ground, flames and hot embers begin to sort of magically form in front of her as this purple cloud of flaming hot smoke starts to come up from the ground and V shoots it as she casts Incendiary Cloud. It is at that moment, once the cloud has consumed Tyrion, that V drops the delayed fireball blast so that explodes simultaneously so that Tyrion is just engulfed in so much fire you can't even like see most of Tyrion at this point. Very lucky that he has disadvantage. I have been rolling very poorly. Roll damage. So in total, then that is 22 D6s. That is 84 points of fire damage. 22? That's 10 D6 for the incendiary cloud and 12 D6 for the delayed fireball blast. Holy shit, that's so much damage. The incendiary okay. cloud actually stays and follows the, can move and follow the target. As this purple and like red and green cloud balloons upward and the fireball, bam, goes off, Tyrion lets out a roar. And I think you all see this like vision, this hallucination, this illusion like shimmer once, twice, it like flickers in, out, in, out, and then poof, it like evaporates. And you're all back in the vault, right? And like, as these like, ex like exploding tongues of fire lick off his body, he sort of rears up and we see his antlers crest up and away from the cloud for like a split second as he's letting up. And like, you all feel like the ground shaking and tremoring as his huge tail whips around. I think like, bam, bam, like pillars go exploding outward, like scattering against the floor. Other pillars also explode outward and scatter against the floor. And I need all of you to make a deck save. 13. 29. I got a 25 and Sun okay. got a 25. Okay. I only got eight. Okay. 
So Jaron and V fail, but Gentle and Abiku save. And Gentle, because you have an evasion, you pick zero. But those of you who saved have to pick one, and those of you who failed have to pick two. You're either gonna take a significant amount of damage, end up somewhere bad, or answer a hard question. Like a, a, real, a pretty tough question. I'll take tough question, because last time you doled those out, I didn't have to take any, so it only feels fair. Okay. Because Erica got like six. Jaron, because you have evasion, you get to pick one instead of two on a failure. I love your tough questions. I want a tough question. Okay. In self-preservation of how many hit points I have, I will go with the teleport someplace and the tough question. Okay. Gentle's fine. No one takes damage, which is nice. As the air around Tyrion explodes with fire and he starts thrashing, all of you either like spring out of the way and like jump and reposition yourselves or you get hit by debris or hit by one of like Tyrion's like massive claws flying around or his tail and you're all flung somewhere, right? V, the place that you are flung is out of the tiny hut. Rev throws out her arm and goes, V, but like doesn't manage to catch you. And I think you're flung actually forward by all this thrashing and you will land in front of Tyrion like right in front of him as the somewhere bad. And the answer, the question all three of you have to answer is what part of my body breaks beyond normal healing? It's one of Abiku's ribs. I think you also shrink back down. As you fly back through the air, your hold over this gigantic magic just breaks and you slam against the pillar and you feel something crack like inside you, like a bottle smashing. What about you, Jaron? Jaron's horns snap. And it's almost reminiscent of Nectus, I think, in the way that it looks, where he is left with one single intact horns. All of the rest of them snap, and the silvery, icy blue threads that are woven around the horns, like, start cascading down onto the floor. Yeah, how do you lose your horns? Do you smash against a pillar? Maybe like one of the horns were actually caught in Tyrion's claws, and so he almost like grabbed it and like snapped it off himself. Ooh, I really like that. And then he like, without even realizing, like flung you through the air after that. I think the rest of them break as you shatter against a pillar. Whoa. Ooh. I can feel our character artist going feral. Um, V. Uh, it's gonna be her spell casting hand just like breaks. <gasps> you land on it horribly and you feel a crunch and oh my god pain just sears up your arm as you roll feebly and you land in front of Tyrion who has also shrunk down as this incendiary cloud keeps whipping around like little sparks of fire just exploding I think within it you and your dad are the only ones in this thick mist of just fire <laughs> amidst this debris and you see like the massive dragon form just vanishes evaporates and you just see Tyrion in his human form his humanoid form he's just sort of slumped I think against a dais his back leaned against it you see those webs of the poison streaking across his face and his hair has come down from its perfectly like coiffed and polished way it's like hanging in front of his eyes now his pure blue eyes and he's sort of like breathing really heavily he also looks kind of broken and fucked up and he has like burn marks over his body and scorch marks and various like bruises from where gentle punched him right and he's like bracing one side of his ribcage as well as he's leaned up against these stairs and you're flung on your stomach in front of him 
You really are my daughter, aren't you? Now, you may have been the person who made my birth happen, but you are not my father. You <laughs> never will be. <laughs> and he coughs and you see blood come up in his mouth and like dribbled down his chin and like onto his perfectly sapphire tie. And he sort of looks down almost in like detached surprise. Like, huh, I can bleed, huh? And he like looks back at you as he's still like cupping his rib cage. You can tell yourself all the lies you want to be. <laughs> but like father, like daughter, I will always be a part of you, V. As far as you try to run from me, I will always be there. V gives a, is like in searing pain, but like kind of grimaces and in a bit of a laugh. And I'm done running, Tyrion. That's why I'm here at your doorstep. That's why I'm here. You think I came here to find you to make up for something? I've always been here to kill you. That was the long con. I know. Do you kill him? Yeah. She's gonna lift her broken hand and with the absolute searing agony of trying to cast a spell with a broken hand through it, she's just gonna cast Firebolt, a simple cantrip right into his face. Could it, like, go through his heart? Could it be, like, a fire knife that pierces his heart? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we see a javelin of fire shoot out and lance through his heart. And V, as soon as, like, that spell ends, you feel searing pain surge through your hand, but before I resolve that... V, 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 V. Enjoy your destined downfall. <coughs> I'll see you in oblivion. Uh, and your father hunches over and dies. And V, that's when the pain from your hand hits you. I think it's so strong you have to like double over a little bit. Like, like this like searing fiery pain just scorches up through your arm. I don't think you can cast magic out of that hand anymore. I think, it, I think it's done. V is going to fall to her knees in agonizing pain, grabbing her arm. And as she's starting to lose consciousness, she's going to look to Rev, who is, I'm imagining, running towards her. And she just quickly mutters, don't save his soul. He doesn't deserve it. And she's going to start to lose consciousness and pass out onto the ground. And in that moment, V. Nakshurzo passes away. All the cons, all the thefts, all the lying. So that only remains Vasanti Paya Nakshurzo. And the last thing you see, Vasanti, before you close your eyes, is Rev running toward you, cutting through the murk. And then darkness closes in.
And Vasanti, when you open your eyes again, you're lying in a bed on a soft surface, and some sort of light gently is filtering through this space. You smell maybe like a candle, some incense burning. You flicker your eyes open. You sort of see like a, a ceiling, blurry, drift in and out of consciousness. And then you see Rev's face immediately. She's right next to you. And we sort of pull out and we see that we're in like a shared kind of large bedchamber area, almost like a med ward, where V is lying on like one of these beds. And Rev is like right next to her. And we also see nearby a Biku Juran, Gentle, Bud, Sun, and Costas as well. Hey, hey, hey. Visanti, you're okay. It's over. Uh, without even trying, accidentally put some pressure on her hand and just like, nope, that is not happening. Whoa, 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 whoa. yeah, yeah. And I think you see as you like just subconsciously use your hand, you see that it's been bandaged and set. Like there's a cast over it. He's dead, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's, um, he's dead. And... Everyone's okay? Yeah, we're we're good. Just worried about you. Um, and Gerard, I think, comes forward a little bit so that they are in Basanti's vision. And they kind of look down, their brow furrowed, and you can see, like, the broken horns on their head. You've been out for a while. This is very overwhelming. With her good hand, she reaches out for Jaron in like a handshake gesture. Jaron will take your hand, softly. You saved my life. Thank you. After all the things I said to you, thank you. We all saved your life. A biku gentle rev. We couldn't have done it without all of us here. That is how we're going to beat the stranger. I think V looks over to Gentle. You managed to find more poison? Yeah, um, Bud and I sort of had a lead on that. Apparently the person who made it knows you from, from a little bit back, actually. Yeah. He tried to uh, stab you. He was invisible. He had a dagger. He either tried to stab you or Manaya, I think. Oh, that lizard? Yeah. Yeah, he has a family. You mean... He's an, a nice person? No, but okay. I, I think Bud and I scared him, scared him to trying to help people a little bit more. Yeah, not as bad as Tyrion, so we let him live. That's okay. I appreciate that. You did good. Thank you, Visanti. I, I appreciate that. I feel like that's the first time we've, you know, we've had a moment there where we shared a connection. Oh, hopefully it's just the first of many, so... I kind of had a lot on my mind. Uh, well, if you, I, I understand, but if you feel like I really did good, um... Oh, Bud. Mm -hmm. I, I give Bud a treat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and Bud, Bud eats it. I'm glad you're doing a little bit better. Um, I've been making tea and some food if you need anything. Um, Costas helped with the soup. I could really use some of that tea of yours. Right on it. And Gentle will run and go get tea for literally everybody. Biku. 
Yes, and she has like bandages around her abdomen. You got real big back there. I didn't know what would happen, but I'm glad I did not turn into a monster and try and kill you. That's very appreciated. I, I couldn't probably deal with fighting someone else in that moment. I'm glad that you are okay. I don't know what we do with this place. I think we lock it for now. We'll have to talk about ownership rights. There's a moment of, well, this place is mine now, right? Like I kill father, this is father's scraps that idea. We'll, we'll figure out the good use for it. Maybe the Merosians, maybe Elder Paku has, can think of something good. That would this be good. I could make it like a museum. There's a lot of odd things in here, so. You know, actually, maybe we take some of the things that used to belong to other people and we return them to where they belong. That could be good. I remember every... Oh, and then Abiku sits down next to Vasanti. I So I remember everything now. I thought you would like to hear about my wife. You, f you remember your wife? Yes. Is that the, the Lavender Dragon? Yes, her name was Shunyi. Oh, Shunyi, that's beautiful. She's not here now anymore, obviously. I thought for a little bit maybe she was here too, but I could tell you about her if you like while you rest. I would love that, Abiku. And Abiku starts telling the story. So hearing Abiku talk about her love reminds Visanti of her love to Rev and like will take her good hand and like reach it over to Rev to like hold hands. I think we hold on this image as like a Biku's telling the Visanti rather and everyone else in this room like the story of Srinyi and Abiku Ishtar. Uh, as like Bud starts to lay down, starts to go to sleep, you know, and Rev just holds V's hand, Costas, you know, leans against uh, a, a wall moodily, but like we see like a tear come out, like of like one side of their faces, they're like hiding it from like the emotionality of this love story. And we pull out from this and we sort of like fade on it. And when we push back in, I think it's on Rev with a Biku drawn and gentle outside this room. Uh, in the hallway while like V's maybe like napping or like everyone thinks V's napping and like resting up and Rev is sort of talking in low tones to a Biku gentle and Jeron we cut out into the hallway here this like vast space with these like beautiful paintings these vaulted ceilings and Rev sort of leans in and has her like muscular arms crossed over her body listen uh <clears throat> Visanti's resting right now so I don't want I don't want her to overhear this but uh don't tell her that I reaped Tyran's soul Okay, I just don't. She might find out eventually anyway. I know, I know, but I I want it to come from me, and I'm not... I don't want to tell her right now. She's... It's too... It's too soon. It was your decision, so whatever you want, but I, I'm sure she'll understand. There's no way... If you hadn't done it, the Reverend Queen would have made me do it, so... I know, I know. She is very intent on all souls here in Indake going to the after. It does make me nervous. He was very strong. I am not sure death will be enough to hold him off. You will need to be careful with that thing. And I point at Grim. Yeah, yeah, I know. Grim's fine. I can feel all the souls inside Grim. It's, it's okay. I've got Tyrion contained. 
<laughs> it'll be it'll be an optimistic problem to have to deal with, right? If we survive this ordeal, be back the stranger. I feel like tear and small fry compared to that. Yeah. Plus, we have his weakness. That's true. I mean, who knows if he ascended to draconic godhood or whatever? Maybe he would have no normal weaknesses, but he hasn't. So we can just threaten him with that poison if he tries to crawl out of the after. Which hasn't ever really happened successfully in the history of necromancy in Indake, so I'm not too worried. Yubiku shifts nervously. <laughs> Let's You're, hope um... that he's not the first. <laughs> uh, like I said, we can deal with that after after the war. So, Visanti, if you would have liked to hear that conversation, I can have you roll perception. I will roll perception. I will have okay. Rev contest it with her stealth. Oh my gosh, I'm rolling like crap today. I think Connie rolled real low based on the look on his face, no? I only rolled an 8, so... I can't see it. Just wait, just wait, it'll be great. Just wait. That's a 20. That has to be a gift. That has to be a gift. Please, I, have to be a video. I need the PG, sound with PG, it. PG, guess if you're watching, please, please give that. I'll do will personally pay you. <laughs> That was beautiful. Uh, so I don't think you, I think you know they're talking and I think you even know that they're talking about you, but you don't get like actual words. You just hear Rev's voice kind of low and insistent. And when she comes back in, she's all smile, smiles and like not referencing the fact that she was consorting with a Bigujaran or a uh, gentle right outside. So we cut to the gates of the tapestry room, right? Which have been unlocked thanks to Jaron and gentle. And as I think Rev pushes them open, you all see those rings swirling as usual around that tapestry and the tapestry weaving and unweaving, weaving and unweaving itself. And I think there's a moment as all of you linger on the threshold and then V next to Rev and Rev as well. The two of you feel, you feel a soul deep tugging. That kind of just sort of like yanks your head sideways towards the southeast. And on that movement, on that turn, we see cutting in old Mama Lightning's face as she's backlit by a waterfall in the middle of talking to someone. And then we see her go, oh, oh as she turns as well in the same movement. And we also see Manaya's face as she's like smiling and talking, I think, to a girl on one of the islands of Uhanahi, like leaned up against the beach. And then she, her face suddenly becomes very serious and she turns as well in the same direction. I think for her, it would be northeast. And then we cut over to Emperor Zhen of Xiong's face. Their beautiful, immaculate, handsome, statuesque features covered by these strings of pearls as they're sort of sat next to Arden Hien strolling and rolling through a garden covered with like snow and uh, magnolia petals and Seongjin suddenly pauses and turns and also looks eastward and then we push back toward Rev and Visanti there's like an instinctual shared gut feeling right like how birds instinctually know how to fly like fish instinctually know how to swim you just know in that exact moment Oka Hien has become Paragon of Sen and the eight are complete. And I think Rev just sort of gasps out, Oka, 
and looks up. And we all see the tapestry as it was unweaving and reweaving and unweaving suddenly pause in its unweaving and then start to reweave itself for the final time. It starts to knit itself back up. The story becoming whole once more. And we see like a story starting to take place, the end of the story of the first Stranger War, told from Jinka Da's perspective. A coagulation, I think, toward the end of blood, wings, and eyes that reflects that crimson battlefield tearing through all of you into in the vault. And then the stranger just at the very end, leaving, just gone. No grand victory, no ascension, no triumphant song, just an egress with no ceremony. And that final hole, the wheel, the sigil of Shuhai Miao, the paragon of Sen, that's the last thing to come back in. And we see an icon of a wheel spiral itself in toward that final wheel of eight other icons and fill its place. And as soon as that place is filled, as soon as Shuhai Miao returns to that tapestry, all of you see the, the weft work of this beautiful long piece of artwork glow. These like threads of like bright light just start to ving, 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 beam, beam, beam. And then shooting out of the tapestry, a thread of light that goes poof, upward and it shoots out of the ceiling almost like a projector beam, just like shooting upward, but it seems to phase through the ceiling. You figure it's pointing for you all south. When Rev had said Oka, Jaron's eyes snapped over to the tapestry, and in the moment that it paused and then started to weave itself back, Jaron ran towards it, hopping from ring to ring, frantically, desperately, as fast as he can, they make it just as soon as that last thread stitched itself into place, and they stand there, shell-shocked, fall to their knees, and watch as the tapestry glows and tears start to come down Jaron's face as he realizes he's too late. Gentle. Something about the, the light beaming out of the tapestry up through the ceiling. Something about that calls toward you. Something about it feels like thread. Like a voice trying to reach out to you. Like a story you once heard whispered to you when you were young. Something about that beam of light pushing its way out of the ceiling. Intuitively, similar to that gut feeling Rev and Visanti got about Oka's ascension. You get the sense that you want to look at the sky. Uh, I'll fly up and just and, and do it. Just like very slowly take off. I think I'll go through a ring. Okay. I, think I will, on the way out, softly put a hand on Drawn's shoulder and like offer a sympathetic smile. I'll head through a ring. As you fly through the air, you sweep up toward one of the rings after placing a hand on Drawn's shoulder and you hear Bud go, Shinzo, uh, where are you going? Sorry, bud. Uh, I just need to check on something. I'll, I'll be right back, I promise. Uh, okay. And gentle, you fall through one of the rings gracefully. You see like a balcony. 
right, like flashing through through the murk. And you land, I think you come out through like a wall and you just step gently onto a balcony out of the tapestry room where you see like a railing, a banister, cold air gusting through it, like ruffling, I think your hair past your face. You see the lake sprawling out below you in front of you. You see the tall teeth of the mountains around you. It's nighttime. The starless sky. Well, there's a star beaming out of the citadel as though the citadel were a projector. You see a thread of light, like one of Nibuza's stories, just beam out from that tapestry room. You understand it intuitively to be that same beam of light that came out of the tapestry up toward the sky, beaming a star into existence above a point toward the south. I think the sheer sensation of like seeing a star, I think moves gentle to tears immediately. And I think before they go back, there is a quiet moment of gentle here alone just taking it all in before they tell anyone else. And there's like that moment of quiet as you just stare at the star beamed into existence from the tapestry in the sky. (sighs) A star. You haven't seen one of those since, well, since a year ago, since the world ended. And then you step back, I think, into the tapestry room. And Bud looks up at you and goes, uh, Gentle, where'd you go? Like, Gentle's still like wiping tears from her eyes a little bit. Um, I went out to the balcony and there's still there's a there's a star. Well, there's there's one star what? outside. What? 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 Uh, and Bud, without saying anything, just like runs toward that same ring and starts to like hop through it. Wait, 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 wait hold on, what? gentle. What do you mean? What do you mean a star? Just, just follow me, please. And Rev like nods very seriously and turns to you, Visanti. Visanti? Yeah, let's go. Just, could you just help me? And like, V like, just like, tries to get her hand in a place where like, any shaking or jumping will like, be as soft as possible on her hand. Here. And Rev actually scoops you up in like a kind of bridal carry, like very howl, howl of moving castle fame, uh, like scoops you up and like gently walks almost like over air, like toward, toward that swirling ring and like vanishes through it. I think Abiku is looks like Costas, let's go and like picks up Costas. (laughs) Hey, 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 like little sibling style. You don't have to, uh, I can walk on my own, Abiku, just because you can get super big now. Do you want want to jump yourself? No, no, I don't. Okay. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you go through with Costas. Bergeron, it's like he's underwater. Everything is really slow and garbled and muffled, and they're not quite fully present, I think. So I don't think that when Gentle came in and said that there's a star outside, that they fully even processed or heard that information. They kind of like turn to look slowly to look over at Gentle and the commotion and everybody jumping through the rings and you can see that there's like a distance in his eyes. I know Jaron well enough to have like, to I think recognize when you're like this, uh, affectionate. And if it is okay, I think as everyone starts to go through, Gentle's still just sitting there floating slightly and just offers a hand 
Do you need help, Jaron? Jaron wordlessly takes your hand and accepts your help. Help you through the ring. And all of you step out onto that balcony, into that chill winter air, crisp as a fall apple, to see exactly what Gentle saw. A beam of light shooting out from the citadel through the sky, through the clouds, through the empty black expanse until it pauses somewhere on the southern horizon to form a star. Rev actually steps forward and like just checks in to make sure that Visanti's okay first and then turns back toward toward this empty expanse with that single pinprick. That's Dr. Eluso's place. That star, I know it to be true. It's it's shining over where Dr. Eluso is. And she sort of like traces her finger from like the beam of light shining over Dr. Eluso's cottage back to the citadel. It's, it's a gift. It's a gift from a past paragon. Like the gift is there or the gift is this? Should we, should, do we need to go? I don't know if it's immediately urgent, but I, you feel it too, don't you? I feel it calling. Visanti feels sort of the same tugging. It's it's not quite Scott and Nectus, but it, yeah, it's this feeling in her heart of like to the south. Yeah, back to Dr. Luso's home. Yes, I I can feel it. And I think with her good hand, she like puts that over her heart and like, it's not as soon as possible, but it's where we go next after this. What do you think it means? <laughs> it's a star. It might not be a star like we're used to. It might be coming out of the tapestry, but it's still, God damn it, it's still a star. That's a good thing. The first star of the last stars you'll ever see. It's beautiful. Yeah, Vasanti looks up and also much like with Gentle, I think some tears. Vasanti remembers so vividly that night after that first fight and the, just the inky blackness of the sky and it just everything of the past year up to this point is like hitting her so hard yeah it's it's a good thing I think Jaron looks at the star for quite a while but eventually their gaze shifts over to Rev and Visanti they just take in their reactions and I think it fills him with this sort of grief, knowing that these two will not survive the end of the war, knowing that this is this is one of the last times that they're ever going to see a star in their life. And just seeing how beautiful they think it is, how much emotion it wells up in them, I think it makes Jaron heavy. And I think like there's like a this like quiet poignant moment as all of you are looking up the stars and Rev is also crying, but she doesn't seem to realize it. And like Costas actually steps forward and like throws their hood back. And those of you who haven't seen Costas's face before, you see like half of their face is this like beautiful elf with like dark skin and these like braids of black hair that like go down. And the other half of their face is pure ice that doesn't move, that can't cry, that can't emote. It's just like an ice statue. And Costas is looking up at the stars as well and crying with the side of their face that can feel. And then Rev just sort of goes, 
look, and like points downward. And we see on the other side of Nabuza's teardrop, that villa that had like the cannon on display, like fireworks are sort of shooting up. And like little blossoms of like light are like sparking through the air. And we see other little fireworks shoot up from various other Boshayan towns, like all across the ice, just as the people of Endake also start to notice that star. When we fade back in on this session, on this final leg of the journey that has been Arc 6, we find Gentle working with their hands. Gentle, what are you doing? One of the things that I spent a lot of time doing in the Citadel was looking for old seeds and any sort of plant life that was extinct or very rare in Endake. And I'm trying to bring some of that back. I really like that. Why don't you make me a general survival check with advantage because you've spent a lot of time in the Citadel to see the kinds of seeds you've managed to find and harvest for yourself. That is a 22. Whoa. You get some rare seeds in there. And I think with a 22, you're able to pick ones uh, that you think have a good chance of taking. Perfect. Beautiful. I think we see you like a a montage of gentle in various greenhouses. I think Bud is also helping by like digging some of the holes for me. Um, Oh, that's so cute. Are you like trying to plant the seeds at the Citadel? I think it's a mix. I think giving some to like farmers who I'm certain can cultivate it carefully, but also just trying to ensure a few just can survive in the wild too. I'm like trying to reacclimate them back to the just environment of Indake. And I think for those ones, it is like Bud and I just having a gardening day in which we are going through planting. I am giving him like snacks and like sort of showing him the wonders of something like gardening. That's so cute. I think we find you in like a greenhouse area, right? With like plenty of like space and lots of like fields and garden beds that are open. And like we see like Bud, like a montage of Bud digging with his front paws and then like trotting over with a bucket of water in his mouth, you know, and like gently putting the bucket next to you and stuff like that. And like using his paws to like put soil back into like a hole. And it's like a nice bonding moment between the two of you as you're able to harvest these seeds, right? And like any servants or workers or laborers or, um, arborists who are moving about this space coming by like maybe you talk to them and hand them some seeds they look you know startled but they accept it right uh and like this is like the montage that we see gentle just sort of like elbows up in dirt right staining their clothes with the work of making new things grow and i think we cut over now to a biku a biku i think we find you on that same balcony uh, where the Raven Queen spoke to you and showed you your story. I think Abiku is writing a letter to Shunyi, and she's just like letting her know how she's been doing and apologizing for forgetting her and letting her know it's not the way they wanted it, but the war is finally over. I think you're like on the banister maybe with like a quill in your hand, a a pen, a brush, and you're writing in this like beautiful, elegant kind of long like calligraphy that is ba. And like while your hair, I think, is being blown by these gusts of like gentle winds up here, among the whispers you hear like dead leaves rustling against each other. The Raven Queen's voice. Apiku Ishtar, my keeper. You've done well 
I am so proud of you, my child. And I must tell you the final thing. What is that? You asked me before you confronted the Lord Commander of the Chromium Order, the Cannibal Titan. You asked me where Shrinyi is, and now I answer for you. Shrinyi is in the beyond, as you were, if I know her heart to remain to be true, which it is, which it always has been, and she is waiting for you to return to her one day. Okay, so we beat the stranger, and then I assume whatever is keeping me here, you will stop. I mean, I know you are not into this sort of thing that you know I am. It was fate who chose our paragons for us, and perhaps it was fate who brought you back, Abiku Ishtar, for it was not me. But I believe that now that you are here, all of us benefit from your aid. That is good. I mean, I am in no rush. There is a lot to do here, but I am I am glad nothing else happened to her or any of the other souls from the war. Well, my war. There's, lot, there's been a lot of wars, but, you know. I have a question for you, if that's okay, before you go. Of course, my beloved. So, you are the Raven Queen, yes? But I was wondering if you had a name? That feels like a title. And you hear that rustling of leaves again? That takes you a minute to realize it's a chuckle. Astute as always, Abiku Ishtar. The Raven Queen is the name I go by for mortals, paragons, keepers alike. Only one other knows my true name. My own beloved. Oh, I understand if it is private, I just wanted to, as long as that is what you want me to call you, I just worried you don't people were like, you know, it'd be like the Cloud Queen and no one ever asked her name, you know? You hear that like rustling of chuckle again? Perhaps you can just call me friend. Uh, and that voice goes with a flutter of wings and a flutter of wings and a flutter of wings as you see two ravens, I think, uh, soaring like through, like they come down from cloud cover and they flap like through the wind toward you. But what's interesting about these two ravens is I think each of them has like a little package or something like there's like a little tied up like satchel (laughs) (laughs) attached to both of their talents i see the indake postal service has got new (laughs) (laughs) and these two ravens they they're like flapping really hard and they land on the banister and you recognize these ravens from kirtal glass i am beak boy no, I don't remember the name. <laughs> silver eye cocks his head toward you with that silver eye, and Black Beak sort of raises, you know, their very Black Beak. Black Beak lets out a, hey, 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 hey. Oh, lady, I, I have something for you. Yes, and I take out a bag of grain I've been carrying since Kirtal. Oh, oh, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that for the long journey. But uh, listen, listen, listen. We got a, we got a express delivery for you, lady. Oh. 
Okay, I didn't pay. I, I'm not paying for this one. I that's no, no, other. no, no fee, no fee. We uh, it's actually okay. re- really interesting how we found this package, uh, right, Silver Eye? Yeah, yeah, real interesting how we found this package. Listen, after we definitely delivered the message in Tabathati. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, we definitely delivered that message. That's what uh, I'm yeah, paying for. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Yeah, you gave us the shiny things, and we, you know, we crows are. Anyway, uh, we had our fun in Dabathati. We witnessed a lot of things go down. You know, oh, uh, those mortals down below us. Well, they got their own issues, let me tell you that. Uh, you're traveling with one of the most effed up ones that we've seen. But anyway, uh, we uh, we went to a temple to the Raven Queen. We felt compelled. Yeah, yeah, as Corvids, you see. As Corvids, we felt compelled. Yeah, yeah, as Corvids, we felt the Corvid compulsion. Uh, we went to a shrine to the Raven Queen in Dabathati. And lo and behold, there were two packages right here uh, for us to deliver to you. So, uh, here you go. Oh, thank you. I. Uh, do you want anything? Uh, no. I mean, the grain's nice, but this place is nice. <laughs> shiver me feathers, am I right? Uh, Silver Eye? Yeah, yeah, shiver me feathers. But uh, oh. this, this place is nice. We could uh, Wait, set I, up digs here. I, I have, yes, actually, could you watch this place for me until I get done with the whole Stranger War thing? What, uh, us? Are you, are you saying we're in charge here? You, I, just like if anything happens, you can come let me know. Guardians of the Iron Citadel, how do you, how do you like that, Blackbeak? I think that's a nice little, little epithet for us to have. Yeah, yeah, Silver Eye and Blackbeak, Guardians of the Iron Citadel, I'm into it, I'm into it. Uh, hey, listen, I, do we get, uh, do we get servants? I crouch down, no. I can't not trust enough you will be the only people here, but if you take anything shiny that I have not let you, I will let the Raven Queen know. Oh! Oh, well, we ain't got no beef with the queen, <laughs> right? We got no beef with the queen, right, Silver Eye? Yeah, 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 we got no beef, we got no beef. You're welcome to oh. stay warm, but if anything happens here, I need you to let me know immediately, okay? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely! Absolutely yes, big lady, of course. 100% you have our word. Cross our feathers and hope to die. Thank you. Very um, welcome. Welcome home, I guess, and I, like, open the door <laughs> on the balcony. Yeah, they leave the packages behind and they flutter past you, and as they flutter past you, you hear Blackbeak say, Hey, all those stuck-up crows at the weave spun nest can't say that these two rejects from the eternal chorus of the Raven Queen's throat didn't never became nothing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, for the longest time, I thought maybe the highest aspiration I could have was to become one of the hundred ravens that the Raven Queen speaks through at the Weave Spun Nest, but this is pretty nice. Uh, and they sort of flutter by without exposition uh, into <laughs> into the foyer, leaving the packages on the banister for you. She'll open them up and see what was so important. And I think they are... Much, especially after all, she's been in much nicer clothes than she has. Like, her clothes are, like, dirt, there's blood, rips. Like, she got punched by a draconic mage. Like, she's been through a lot. And they are these, like, fine, like, blacks and golds. Hers were, like, blue and white inlay. It's, like, black or gold inlay. She has a video game character montage where she, like, gets dressed and then and she folds up her robes very nicely and like sets them on the bed and she takes out queen undo's fan and sets it on the bed and she just does a polite bow and thank you for everything but i will handle this next part 
and she leaves the room and Citadel whenever we're time to leave. Mm. I love that. And I think on you, like, walking back into the room and the balcony door closing behind you. Goosh. On that, we are going to cut over to a montage of Jaron finishing up his business, I think, in the Citadel. Uh, so what is the first order of business you're trying to wrap up here, Jaron? The first thing that Jaron is going to do is make sure that we have that tapestry with us, that we take it to Dr. Aluso's to study and research. So I think they're in the tapestry room and they've managed to break through the magical barrier that had been protecting it. And they are just kind of like rolling it up and tucking it away, making sure that it's like contained safely. I think you need to get like a large case for it, like a big cylinder to sort of like put it in and like cap it and like sling it over your shoulders. And I think like we cut to you in like a nice, almost like a fitting or like a dressing room where like one of the workers, like several workers are trying to like help like on the fly making a, a case, a container for you. And one of them, like she's like a woman, like a halfling woman just going around measuring you, like just grabbing you, grabbing your face and grabbing your shoulders and just putting this measuring tape up over it. And she just sort of lets out kind of like, you know, we haven't seen our Lord Commander around in quite a few days. So as honored guests, have you seen him anywhere? I don't think that I'm the right person to ask about that. Vasanti is, uh, uh, as yes. his daughter, is probably the person that you want to speak to. Oh, uh, yes, yes, of course, of course, of course. And uh, hey, 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 hey. And she like snaps her fingers and like the case is done. It comes over. All right, let's load it in. And our Lord Commander said it was okay to take this, yes? Yes, of course. And I think Jaron, as the final touch to this case, I think sort of imbued it with a modified long-term like sanctuary spell to ensure that it would be kept like protected in some way. I don't know how strong the actual spell is, but just to sort of have that extra level of security. I like that, yeah. And it like slides in like a goof and like the cap goes on. And on like the cap going on, we find you in your next locale, I think, because I think you're in search of quite a rare Morosi artifact indeed here. A piece of Everfrost, which is ice that never melts, that has been around, some say, legends say, since the formation of Andake itself. We find you, if it's okay with you, like in like a academic's office. Tiran has amassed a number of experts and academics and artists and people that are just around. Kind of like how really rich people, like back way back when, they would just entertain for like months on end and their friends would just crash at their place for like months and weeks and like not leave and just randomly walk through their halls. Kind of like that. And there's like this one particular, I think, geologist that just lives here in the Iron Citadel. They are a turtle. They're very small, like a snapping turtle with this long wrinkled neck and these like eyes that sort of like go, like go left, go right, go left, go right. And their office is filled with all kinds of rocks. And they sort of like waddle forward with like this, it looks like a white rock, but upon closer examination, it looks translucent and its edges are like all frayed, like it's ice that's been cracked off, like on like a plate and they waddle forward. This is, uh, the Everfrost. Lord Tyrion said I should give you, is, is that right? Yes, that's correct. He needs it for a very important project. And Jaron very gingerly takes it in their hands. I think strapped to their waist is like their notebook that they've been taking notes on everything. Because ever since he found out that there are like a whole bunch of different academics and experts in the Citadel, I think they've been like tailing them all and like asking, like picking their brain on different stuff. 
I think this is coming off the tail end of like one of those conversations where John has like bothered this turtle for all of like their thoughts and opinions on rocks. Please just Thank take you. this if and leave me alone. Sorry, I, I just, it's just your work is very fascinating. And you said that this is ice that never melts, correct? The ever frost? Yes, that's what it means. Ever frost, never melts. Even when exposed to extremely high temperatures. It can break though, so don't drop it. Okay, thank you. Do you have any anything to put it in to make sure that it doesn't break? Ah! I'll figure it out. Put it in a pouch okay. or something. Okay. I don't know. Be resourceful. Okay. I've already okay. given you this extremely valuable Everfrost, and if Lord Tyrion hadn't commanded me, well, here you go. Thank you very much for your help. And they put this component that they have gotten for Dewey's, and they put it very carefully in like a compartment of their pouch that I think doesn't have like anything else in it. I think there's actually a moment where like you take it from him, but he holds on to it. <laughs> like you, you, it's only you have right, more, okay. right? No, that's my. That's the only piece that I'm aware exists still. Oh. So, oh, well, I promise that it will go to good use. Good, I would hope so. Where did you say you lived again? Did you? Um, I'm from Bolshaya. Oh, okay, okay, Bolshaya. <laughs> And your name was Cotter? Juron, how do you spell that? Um, yeah, but you can actually just uh, talk to Costas. That's who I usually work through. Yeah. Okay, all right, good. Well, all right, well, have, have a good one. I have to go feed these two ravens that keep pecking at my window now. Uh, and <laughs> this turtle turns around and, like, hobbles back over to his desk. Juron takes the Everfrost and leaves. Okay. <laughs> I think on the door closing on Jaron, we pan and cut over to V. V, I think we find you with Rev in this particular moment. Where are you? I think they are in the last room that Vasanti was in with Tyrion. Vasanti has asked Rev to do something very particular, and that is try to make contact with Sievert within Grimm. Mm. The two of you are sitting on like opposite seats here, like surrounded by all this opulence, these like hanging chandeliers, there's like vast balcony that overlooks the lake. And she's got a grim out, balanced across her knees. Yeah, okay, I can try to call his soul up, but whether whether or not he'll talk or if we can even hear him is honestly part of it feels like chance. And whether or not he'll respond to my calling is another thing entirely too. I appreciate you even making the attempt. Absolutely. Anything for you, Visanti. Alright, I'll try to hold it as long as I can, but I have to end it when I end it. Understood. Here we go. And Rev sweeps her hand over the blade. And you see it, like, shimmer once, twice, and Rev's, like, grip on the handle tightens as she furls her brow. And then you see a face start to materialize in the silver of Grimm's blade. Sievert's face. Sievert, um, oh my gosh, uh, we, we, Sievert, can you hear me? And Sievert, wordlessly, he's just sort of like looking down off to his like left, and when he speaks, he sort of raises his head, and his like blue eyes turn and they lock on you, but his face is kind of almost like blank. Vasanti knows that 
her time with this is severely limited, so she just sort of like takes a breath and and composes herself. Sievert, I, I'm so sorry. I, our, I don't have very long, so I'm just gonna. I just need to say this to you. I'm sorry that all of our lies caught up to us. It turns out we were lying to each other all this time, and I understand that you were trying not to hurt me all this time, but you were trying to protect me. And I wish I had known what you were doing at the time. Maybe we could have come up with a plan. We could have come up with a con. We could have figured this out together. And I just, I need you to know that I forgive you for what you had to do. I hope that you can forgive me for what I had to do. And I'm sorry that it ended this way. I wish... I wish it could have happened some other way, but I appreciate what you did for me. As you speak, you see Sievert's eyes become more and more focused, and like his brows kind of furrow, like he's trying to hear you, but you're really far away or something. And he like squints and sort of cocks his head to the side. By the end of it, he like blinks and almost has this like expression of revelation on his face, and then an expression of deep sorrow. And he like raises like his fingers up, you see, and he like places them flat against the scythe. I think V will take her good hand and also like reach out and like put it on the scythe. And for like a beat, the two of you just hold there with him looking at you. And then you see his lips move. He's saying something, but you can't hear it. But you see him mouth in Jukan the words I love you. And then like a light swashes over his face and he's gone. V immediately feels her heart just start to explode with emotion as she starts crying. And then she looks up into Rev's eyes. I've made so many mistakes, Rev. You can't blame yourself for this one. You can't. You realize I've also killed Tomba. Tiran killed Tomba, Visanti. That blood is not on your hands. He would have never known where she was if I hadn't told Trent Visanti. And she like reaches across the scythe to hold your hands in hers. Was it your fault? Tyrion was a very, very bad person. He hunted down 22,000. He, one way or another, he would have tried to get what he wanted. Toward the end, he was just trying to guilt you. If you would like, if it would help, maybe I can, um, I can try to call her up. There's a, another rush of, of emotion from Versanti. She's out of a very choked voice. I would like that very much. She nods and sweeps her hand over the blade again. The light shimmers and then fading softly to the surface of it. We see Tamba. Short hair, kind of also looks a little spaced out, a little bit like Sievert. Like, there's something about the process of calling up a soul that makes them really disoriented, you get the sense? And, like, she's sort of, like, looking out mistily, like, her eyes are squinted a bit, like, her hand is up, like, she's aware that there's a barrier in a way that Sievert wasn't immediately, and she's, like, holding her hand up to, like, the blade and, like, furrowing her brow. Tomba. Tomba, I, I, I hope you can hear me. It's, it's V... My name is Vasanti. You, you remember me from a year ago. I, I helped protect you and your, your newborn baby. But I, I need you to know, and this is really, V like takes a moment because this is really hard for her to say and admit to Tamba. I, 
have to let you know that I'm so sorry. I I told someone where you and Najwa and everyone in the, your order was, and that's how Tyrion found you. And I'm just I just want to let you know that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry that I gave away your your home. And I need you to know also that we found Najwa and, and your baby and they're, they're safe and we will make sure that they stay safe and we will protect them with all of our power. Her eyes seem to fix on yours, seems to find you through the murk of being in Grimm, fix upon you. And you see her mouth words as well in common. And just make me a perception check to see how much you get. Okay, that is a 17. You catch several words. Live. Time. A while. Eventually. Safe. Tamba. Family. Protect. She doesn't look angry. She just looks sad. V starts, as especially those last few words of family and protect, V just starts nodding vigorously. I, we will protect. We will protect. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It's just running out until probably Tomba starts to dissipate. I think another light sweeps across it and Tomba's gone. And like Rev lets out a big breath and we see her like release her grip on Grimm's scythe and we see her hands are trembling a little and some blood is running down her temple. Like the process of calling up these souls to talk takes a lot out of her. See, Tomba wasn't mad. It seemed like she knew her days were numbered as long as Tyrion was hunting her down. We'll protect Najwa, okay? That's that's what we'll do for her. We'll keep the copper steward safe. All right, thank you so much, Rev. Are you okay? Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. Ooh, I'm good. I'm sorry that I let you get captured the way that you were. <laughs> it's okay. Tyrion, uh, hmm, he snuck up on me while we were separated. It's fine. A little scary, but uh, hmm, nothing I couldn't handle as the paragon of the Raven Queen. I won't be separated from you ever again, okay? Yeah, we we must stay together. We have to in all of this. There's we can't afford for something like this to happen again. Agreed. Ever again. And like Rev sort of tightens her grip on your hand and like nods and looks firmly in your eyes. And I think on that we cut to the four of you getting ready to leave the Citadel on the shore in front of the huge iron wall, saying goodbye to like the people who have helped you, the workers like in the Citadel, like several of them are lined up in front of the door. They're like waving. We see the arborist, the turtle, you know, like the, the seamstress, whatnot. And they're all like waving goodbye at you. And I think there is a little boat, a little skiff that's come up for all of you to like hop on and then like travel across Nabuza's teardrop back toward the villa. And I think like we just get through a montage of all of you grabbing all your things, like hopping on the skiff, waving goodbye to like the folks who have helped you at the Iron Citadel who still have no idea what happened with Tyrion, right? And like what happened to their Lord Commander and whatnot. And we watch as the skiff sort of travels across this frozen lake, cutting like a V in the water until it eventually leaves that V behind. Uh, and then when we reach the opposite shore, I think we see like a hustle and bustle of activity as we find Najwa there. We do see sort of like a moment where the news is broken to Najwa about what happened with Tamba. Like she's got her baby like uh, up against her chest and like surrounded by all these artifacts and like by all these, you know, little tourist stands. She stands there just sort of staring at your party. Like your words kind of falling on like unlistening ears after a certain point. And she just looks like totally dissociated and she sort of like looks off. 
And then like slowly she just sort of falls to her knees. And like we don't hear this and we don't see this, but we do see her sort of keel over into like a fetal position and cradling her baby as she just lets out these like body racking sobs that just like shakes her entire form as she just bends over and lets out this horrific wail and crying and crying and crying, right? And then we cut to some amount of time later when she's composed herself again, right? And she's like next to a fire opening up with this letter that Tamba wrote her. And she's like crying these fat tears that are just dribbling onto this letter. And I don't think any of you know what that letter says. I don't think any of you ever read it. But whatever it is, it makes Najwa cry and laugh uh, and smile. And then she like very gently folds up this letter and tucks it lovingly back into the envelope and sort of slips it into like the baby Bjorn. Uh, so that one day her child will know what their mother wanted them to know. And I think like on that, like the four of you leave the Chromium Villa, you take, you know, you commission your own sled dogs to like help, you know, you like mush your own dogs, like all the way back to Bolshaya. And I think there's this moment in Bolshaya where like all four of you are greeted by Elder Rao, this like old satyr man who's like, oh, oh yes, like come in, come in, you know, like, like we sit down, there's like montages of you all telling your stories. You tell Elder Rao what you agree together to tell Elder Rao about what happened in the Citadel. He's very grateful, right? Notices the recovery of the tapestry that you were looking for, Jaron and whatnot. And then I think the next scene we find is Jaron at the memorial for everyone whose lives were lost in Boshaya during the cataclysm. And I think it's these like beautiful little, like beautiful ice sculptures. The sculptures have the names of everyone whose lives were lost during that disaster. And I think we find you in front of one that has your parents' names carved into it. Jaron is standing in front of this memorial with their furs wrapped tightly around their body, their hood up, kind of covering their face a little bit. As they look down at the graves, many of them really, not just his parents, but many of them to all of the people that were lost during the cataclysm, and they have in their hands a flower. I think it's a white flower that only grows like once a year here in this area. It's very rare, and I think thanks to Gentle, Gentle was able to help find one. Jaron was able to get like a small, tiny little bouquet made, and they kneel down at this memorial and place it gently in front of where their parents would be resting. Vasanti, yeah, steps forward, has been watching Jaron for a bit, I think, giving Jaron some space, but once Jaron has laid this bouquet down, V is going to take that moment to step forward and be silent for a little bit, but observe and look at the names on this memorial. She continues to watch until Jaron maybe says something first. Jaron hears your footsteps coming in the snow behind them and they like turn their heads slightly. Vasanti, are you here to pay your respects as well? I'm here to be beside you while you pay your respects. Come. And Jaron pats the ground next to him, inviting V to come and sit. Vasanti comes down to her knees, has on a fur coat at this point and uses it kind of like as a sort of rest for her knees. And just, it's still a little bit awkward. She's still, you know, recovering and her bad hand is like nowhere near, like possibly accidentally hitting the ground. It's up and above while she gets down onto her knees. 
my parents and drawn gestures to the inscriptions directly in front of them. They were part of the casualties. I wasn't able to save them. I'm so sorry, Jaron, that you weren't able to save them. I I understand that feeling well. And Jaron looks up at V, eyes looking up from their hood. What do you mean? Many years ago, many, many years ago, I lost my mother. I couldn't save her. She was sick. I couldn't do anything for her. And, you know, there's people who are now gone because of my actions, and I was unable to do anything about it. So I understand failing to protect people or being able to help the people you love. Does it ever get any easier? No, there's a, like, it's not like a chuckle, like it was funny, but like a chuckle of just like, no, it never gets easier. Well, and Jaron kind of like elbows V very softly, I managed to save you, so maybe, maybe things are turning around. I set a challenge for you when we arrived to Moreau's that if you impressed me, I would perhaps attempt something for you. And I must say, your final actions, both in telling me what Tyrion was planning for me, and also the fact that you rescued me after I allowed myself to get poisoned, you impressed me, Duran. It was the only thing to do. I couldn't let myself fail to save somebody that I cared about again. Not after the last time. Well, for what it's worth, I'm proud of you. I didn't make it easy on you. And you stuck with it. I give you every reason to be mad at me, to turn the other way, to stay looking at a tapestry that you were waiting for some kind of answer from, and instead you you did the right thing, and that's I have I have my end of a of a bet to pay up for. Tron kind of shifts in the snow, holding the container with the tapestry and kind of like moves it slightly. They've been very guarded of this tapestry ever since they got it. It really doesn't leave their side very much. Oh, don't worry, I was I was mad at you the whole way through, but yeah, I would love to talk to Scott and Ectus sometime. I don't exactly have control of them, but we can certainly try. If you're going to give up your lives for the gods, I might as well at least see what all the hype is about. Who are these gods anyway? Uh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> that's an interesting question. I mean, when I saw them, they ripped my heart out, so... And I think Jerron kind of like cocks an eyebrow at that because he didn't know this information before. And I think the rest of the time together, Vasanti and Jerron just kind of sit there and like share their stories. Maybe Vasanti telling that story about having her heart ripped out and Jerron talking about like their parents and hearing about Paya a little bit more as well. And it feels a little bit warmer in this space than it did before. And I think on that, a flurry of snow wipes that scene at the memorial away. And the next time we see the four of you, you are standing upon the teleportation dais a little ways away from Bolshaya, looking down at this massive crevasse that has hacked this beautiful capital town in two. But the four of you, as you're upon this dais, flanked by Costas, Rev, 
and bud. Uh, we pan up your bodies, right, to see you in your final forms, your final versions, right, before you zap out for arc six. So let's start with gentle. What do we see as we pan up your, your body? I think there's a newfound confidence as gentle feels really good about the work they've done here, whether that be helping investigate the poison or just actively making Endake a little bit more full of life. I think Gentle has a resolve on their face. They're smiling at Bud and probably giving them a scratch right between the ears. I love that. And now we're going to pan over to Jaron. Jaron stands on this dais with the large tapestry on their back, and in one hand, they're holding a small handloom that was gifted to them by Elder Bahaku as sort of a gift, a thank you of some kind. And as they step up onto the dais, they kind of come up next to Gentle, and Jaron like slips his free hand into Gentle's hand and kind of gives it a squeeze. And then we pan up to Abiku. The camera pans up and then back down as Abiku was polishing a cannon and like getting like some dirt out of the inscription of her friend and commander, Captain Lua. You see Costas next to her and she kind of looks over and Costas is carrying like an armful of like wrapped artifacts of all the like artifacts of the other leaders that need to go not to the Citadel. And so there's like the sword and the bow and like everything is like wrapped up nicely and Costas kind of and like puts it next to Abiku and she stands up and gets ready to get teleported. Mm. And then we pan down from Abiku to Visanti. Visanti is right beside Rev. And as everyone's getting prepared on this dais, she's looking out onto the horizon of, of Moreau's. She looks down at her hand, obvious symbol of what she's lost and she sees down her arm you know these purple and green scars from where she almost disintegrated in the nothing plane and she looks the most vulnerable she's ever looked like as if she is she looks younger in a way she looks almost like a child looking at the world for the first time because she doesn't know how to interact with this world as Vasanti yet. She's scared and feeling quite vulnerable, but as she's taking these last few moments to sort of take in these surroundings one last time, because this will in all likelihood be her last time in Moreau's. So she's just trying to take that last snapshot of what this place is and what it means and what she's been through in this place before she leaves it for the last time. And on that, golden threads of light start to shoot up from this dais and all of your bodies begin to shimmer with the same light and all of you disappear in just a column of pure radiant magic leaving Bolshaya behind and looking toward Dr. Luso's cottage for the next leg of your journey we're gonna hold on that darkness for a bit after our heroes disappear from the dais and then we're gonna fade back in on a room, a bedroom, a quite large bedroom, actually. A bedroom fit for, well, fit for a champion. We see a large bed, a training area even, uh, various weapons placed upon hooks, a fire pit, a lounge space, big windows, and sort of, I think, knelt in the middle of the floor, polishing a zither is Atalanta. 
We see this proud Triton woman, former champion of Nabal, felled by her own trident at the hands of Bloodthirst. We see her polishing the wood of the zither, her green hair falling in her eyes as her brow is furrowed, the smell of wood oil drifting in the air. She pauses with the rag, senses something behind her. She lifts her head, turns around, stands up, in her version of the after, in her little pocket within Grimm. She strides over to one of the windows and sort of tilts her head, brow still furrowed, and then opens up the curtains to see pure blackness as it's always been within her chamber within Grimm. Just darkness, not the empty oblivion of the nothing plane, but the soft, everlasting darkness and the sweetness of death. The friendly embrace of the Raven Queen around her, but her eyes become fixed upon one point in this darkness, a point that was not there before, ever, in any sense of the word. A pinprick of light, a shining star, a perforation into the after. This episode of The Second Stranger was edited by Connie Chong. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanerRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanerRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Lyle and Peanut, Purple Mouse, Riley, Scruffisus, and Target.